It's time for Defending and Commending the Faith with Joe Mott, inviting the atheist, agnostic, and skeptic to examine for themselves the evidence for the Christian faith. We are all limited by what we do not know and by the things we think we know but are not true. Dr. Joe Mott earned his Ph.D. at LSU and was a distinguished math professor at Florida State University for 38 years, helping to write three math textbooks and authoring over 30 research articles in math. He is now the host of this radio program, Defending and Commending the Faith. Here is Joe Mott. Hello, friends. Today in our nation, we commemorate and honor the life of Martin Luther King, Jr., His speech, I Have a Dream, still challenges our nation and tells us that racism is a sin of the heart and it should not be motivated by the color of one's skin. In this program, I have been confronting the irrationality of atheism and the weakness of the atheistic worldview. So put on your thinking caps and follow along with me. I have said that atheism ultimately leads to nihilism, the view that nothing has any value or meaning. If I apply that statement to nihilism itself, then I can infer that nihilism has no value or meaning. Thus, it is self-defeating, and thereby atheism is weakened. Consequently, If people still manage to claim atheism is true, they can't avoid the conclusion that life becomes ultimately without purpose, without meaning, without sense, without hope, and is basically unlivable. Atheism is traveling on a road built by God, all the while saying that theism is a dead-end street. In the words of the Christian apologist Frank Turek, atheism is stealing from God. The millions of deaths by the communist regimes of Stalin, Mao, Pol Pot, Idi Amin, and Fidel Castro in the 20th century add a further testament to the reality of the world without God. Minorities are murdered, Churches are destroyed, ministers are killed, Bibles are burned, and adherents of religion are persecuted. Atheistic regimes, from socialism to communism to Marxism, are totally anti-God. For many in the world, these facts present us with a gruesome picture of the moral nihilism that follows in the wake of the denial of God. The questions are, if there is no God, can anything really be right or wrong? If there is no God, does anyone have the grounds for saying that the deaths in Hitler's Holocaust and those under Stalin, Mao, or Pol Pot, etc. were wrong? The Christian author Fyodor Dostoevsky explored these questions in his great novel, The Brothers Karamazov. Dostoevsky relates the story of a young intellectual, Ivan Karamazov, who goes off to college 
and comes home a convinced skeptic about God. Furthermore, Ivan's thesis is that if God does not exist, then everything is permitted. So the questions boil down to, is Ivan Karamazov's thesis true? Or is it possible to have ethics without God? A number of notable atheistic philosophers have embraced the thesis that without God, everything is permitted. The German philosopher Friedrich Nietzsche popularized uh, the saying, God is dead. Many intellectuals of Nietzsche's day were overjoyed to hear of God's demise and were ready to lend a hand in writing the obituary. But they were quite unwilling to give up on morality. Nietzsche insisted when one gives up the Christian faith, one pulls the right to Christian morality out from under one's feet. Many at that time failed to realize, and many still do, the consequences of declaring God doesn't exist. That's why Nietzsche concluded, I have come too early. This tremendous event is still on its way. But almost 35 years after Nietzsche's death, that time had come. And everyone since then should know beyond any doubt the terrible consequences of believing there is no God. If atheism is true, then there is no objective right and wrong, and everything is therefore morally permissible. When Nietzsche's fellow countryman Adolf Hitler put Nietzsche's idea into practice, the world soon learned the horrors that follow when we live consistently with the idea that God is dead and life is senseless. If God doesn't exist, then our world becomes a death camp like that of Auschwitz. Of course, not all atheistic philosophers have accepted Dostoevsky's thesis spoken in the mouth of Ivan Karamazov. For example, the Canadian philosopher Kai Nielsen has made a career out of his assertion that we can have ethics without God. Nevertheless, he insists, God or no God, the torturing of innocence is evil. God or no God, wife-beating or child-molesting is evil. He adds, I firmly believe that this is bedrock and right, and that anyone who does not believe it cannot have probed deeply enough into the grounds of his moral beliefs. I disagree with Nielsen's atheism, but I agree with his assertion that we can know immediately as a kind of moral bedrock that certain things are evil or wrong. I take that bedrock moral beliefs as evidence for the existence of God. Indeed, I use the bedrock idea in my proof that the moral argument implies God exists. I've also shown that many atheistic disproofs of God's existence fail, while at the same time I have shown that the first cause of the universe 
is identical to the God of the Bible. Along the way, I've given a new proof that the universe is designed and therefore has a purpose. Who would want to live in a world without God with all the disastrous consequences that follow? Wouldn't you be angry with atheistic regimes that massacre people? Yet, a study conducted by psychologist Julie Exline of Case Western University found that college students, atheists, and agnostics reported more anger at God during their lifetime than believers do. What is interesting about this study is that individuals in at least two of the three classes the study surveyed certainly don't believe that God exists. Yet they report greater levels of emotional anger against God's character than those people who actually believe that God does exist. How does that make sense? That angry reaction is confirmed by many quotes from the New Atheists, including Richard Dawkins, Daniel Dennett, Sam Harris, and Christopher Hitchens. Allow me to give just one. Richard Dawkins said in his book, The God Delusion, the God of the Old Testament is arguably the most unpleasant character of all fiction. Jealous and proud of it, a petty, unjust, unforgiving control freak, a vindictive, bloodthirsty ethnic cleanser, a misogynistic, homophobic, racist, infanticidal, genocidal, filicidal, pestilential, megalomaniacal, sadomasochistic, capriciously malevolent bully. Again, Dawkins is saying this condemnation about a person he doesn't even think is real. I think the reason the new atheists are so vociferous and so bent out of shape is because they think they are losing the public relations campaign for their credibility. One of the most interesting themes of atheist literature is found in the testimonies of those who first choose atheism and then afterwards seek to find reasons to justify their choice. Michael Shermer, executive director of the Skeptic Society, explains his move to atheism in this way. In reality, I think most of us arrive at most of our beliefs for non-rational reasons, and then we justify them with these reasons after the fact. Now listen to Aldous Huxley's words from his 1937 book, Ways and Means. He said, I had motives for not having the world to have meaning. And consequently, I assumed it had none and was able to find satisfying reasons for this assumption. The philosopher who finds no meaning in the world isn't concerned exclusively with a problem in pure metaphysics. He's concerned to prove there's no valid reason 
why he personally should not do as he wants to do. For myself, and as no doubt of my contemporaries, the philosophy of meaninglessness was essentially an instrument of liberation. The liberation we desired from a certain system of morality. We objected to the morality because it interfered with our sexual freedom. The supporters of these systems claimed that in some way it embodied a Christian meaning of the world. There was one admirably simple method of confuting these people and at the same time justifying ourselves in our erotical revolt. We could deny the world had any meaning whatsoever. Those who detect no meaning in the world generally do so because for one reason or another, it suits their books that the world should be meaningless. Let's pray that we make our decisions based on something more than just what suits us. In his 1997 book, The Last Word, Thomas Nagel honestly admitted to an irrational motivation for his unbelief. He wrote, I want atheism to be true. It isn't just that I don't believe in God, and naturally I hope that I'm right about my belief, it's that I hope there is no God. I don't want there to be a God. I don't want the universe to be like that. The title of Thomas Nagel's book, Mind and Cosmos, has the subtitle, Why the Materialist Neo-Darwinian Conception of Nature is Almost Certainly False. Nagel may be very critical of Darwinianism, reductionism, etc., but at the end of the day, he still chooses to remain an atheist. The one-time professor of zoology and of biology at Harvard, Richard Lowenton, gives a, another atheist testimony. He says, Our willingness to accept scientific claims that are, are against common sense is the key to an understanding of the real struggle between science and the supernatural. We take the side of evolutionary science in spite of the patent absurdity of some of its constructs, in spite of its failure to fulfill many of its extravagant promises of health and life, in spite of the tolerance of the scientific community for unsubstantiated, just-so stories, because we have a prior commitment, a commitment to materialism. It is not that the methods and institutions of science somehow compel us to accept a material explanation of the phenomenal world, but on the contrary, that we are forced by our a priori adherence to material causes to create an apparatus of investigation and a set of concepts 
that produce material explanations, no matter how counterintuitive, no matter how mystifying to the uninitiated, moreover, that materialism is absolute, for we cannot allow a divine foot in the door. My response to Lewinton is this. This seems to me to be a scientific form of fideism in which the foundational claims of materialism cannot be questioned. I don't think that any argument for theism can dislodge this kind of fideism no matter how rational it may be. On the other hand, we can only imagine how much ridicule a Christian would face if he were to use a similar sort of fideism directed to any other debatable issue like inerrancy of Scripture, the resurrection of Jesus, etc. I will return to this topic in the next episode. In the meantime, exercise daily, walk with God. Thank you for listening to Defending and Commending the Faith with Joe Mott, a production of Wave 94 Radio in Tallahassee, Florida. If you have any questions or comments for Joe, please forward them to Doug Apple at Wave 94 at this email address, dougapple at wave94.com. And be sure to join us every Monday evening at 6.45 p.m. on Wave 94 and subscribe through your favorite podcast app, Defending and Commending the Faith with Joe Mott.